All four of the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they paint pictures of the resurrection, the day on which Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, The stories are magnificent, and each one of them has a lesson. Uh, This morning, I want to look at one of them with you. Uh, It's one of the few that's only told in the Gospel of John, and it presents a reunion between Jesus and some of his earlier followers, which has in it something that I believe will help every single one of us here, and what we're going to do together is take some time to observe this this reconnection between Jesus and his followers, it's set on the beach beside a fire in the early morning. Uh, For those of us who are followers of Jesus, who want to grow and follow him, this will be a chance for us to see with greater clarity than before what it would mean to trust him and go with him. Uh, If you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're here this morning, it will be a chance for you to see what Christians think matters most. And I want to try to show you that clearly because I think it's not always seen because it's not only always said well. Uh, but here on this beach that we're going to, uh, where, we'll, where we'll observe this conversation, we are going to see a reunion between Jesus and his followers in the same location as when he first met some of them. Now, some of you have been here week by week as we've been considering how God wants to gather and grow his followers so they go and show Jesus. Uh, Do you remember the very first scene that we looked at together, some of you? Help me now know if you did. You don't have to say it. We can be quiet. No noise here, but just... Yes? That happened in the same place as the story we're going to look at this morning. And the reason I mention it, it's sort of like a bookend to what we've been doing together. This is the place where it started for these followers, but now it's become the place where they've returned to because they believed that when Jesus died, maybe it really was a failure. I want to tell you the backstory so we can understand this conversation. On Friday, the disciples were all gathered in Jerusalem with the great big crowds there when, to their utter dismay, their master and friend Jesus was crucified on the cross. They had to watch him die. And the grief of that moment can only be known by someone who's lost a beloved person, which some of you have but also whose hopes went down into the grave with that death as well. Again, some of you will know that. On Saturday, for those disciples, it was a Sabbath, and that meant they weren't allowed to do anything at all to distract them. Does anyone else in here like to distract themselves from pain by getting busy? They couldn't do anything. Sunday came, and that was the first Easter. It was some women who'd gone to the grave who came back with the report that Jesus' body wasn't there because he'd been raised from the dead. The disciples who heard that report couldn't believe it because it seemed too good to be true. By the way, uh, do you ever think to yourself, could this really have happened? It seems too good to be true. If you've ever doubted the resurrection, Easter morning at church isn't the time where you stand up and say, I have, yay! Right? You're supposed to hide it, but the truth is all of the first followers weren't really sure this could have happened. It seemed too good. In the days that followed, Jesus appeared here and there to groups of disciples on the road. He made himself known to them, but even as he was revealing himself, still there were many for whom the reunion wasn't quite pure and wasn't altogether good. On the beach that morning where that conversation happened, the reunion was especially bad for one man, Peter. 
And it was difficult for him because the last time he was near Jesus and by a fire, he had been a terrific failure. That is, he behaved in a way that made him very uncomfortable being around Jesus because he regretted his own failure. Let me ask you, do you know what it's like to regret your own behavior? Um, I know that every person who tries to follow Jesus, everyone, will come to a place where they look at who they've been and they'll feel regret and shame. Not just some, everyone. It's a sad fact that Christians have uh, a reputation for thinking they're perfect. Nonsense. Every Christian will have in their history things that they wish they didn't do, but they did. And even if you don't believe in all of this, I'm right when I say you are a person who knows what it is to regret who you've been. Am I right about that? Yeah. For Peter, on that night that Jesus got arrested, before Jesus was arrested, Jesus told him and all of his friends, on this night, you guys are all gonna fail to stand up for me. You're gonna abandon me. Peter, who was the most adamant and passionate follower of Jesus, he said, no, everyone else can abandon you, but I never will. Jesus said to him, you don't know what you're saying. You're going to deny me. He said, I'll die before I, I deny you. I would never do that. Jesus tells him on this very night, and then he speaks about a rooster. Do some of you know the story? If you don't know this, it's magnificent. I mean, it's just an incredible story. Jesus has been arrested and he's standing before the high priest. This is the most powerful religious figure in all of Jerusalem who's been put in place by the emperor of Rome. He's the guy who, who has all the strength. Jesus is standing there before him. Everybody knows that Jesus hasn't done anything wrong, including uh, all of the people who've got him on trial. And Jesus has asked one question after another, and he's telling the truth over and over again. And meanwhile, out in the courtyard, Peter is standing beside a fire, warming himself, with some other people who've come to see what's going to happen inside. Now, while he's there, someone recognizes him and says, hey, you're a follower of Jesus too, aren't you? And without even thinking of it, Peter says, no, I'm not. First failure. Now, he steps back because he's afraid of what happens if it becomes clear to others that he is associated with the man being arrested but the problems get harder for him because now another person recognizes him. You were a follower. I, I saw you with him. I'm sure that you're one of his followers, aren't you? Now Peter says, no, I, I'm not. I don't know him. Now he's gone further. Now he's pretending he's someone he's not. And then hearing this commotion, another person comes by. It's a young woman. She says, wait a minute. I can tell by your accent. You're definitely one of his followers. I know that you were with him. You're one of his followers, right? He says, no, I'm not. I, I, and he curses her and he swears, I've never met the man. And at that moment, the rooster crows. And then Peter leaves the light of that fire. And the way John tells it, he goes out into the darkness and he weeps alone. Some of you have in here your own little history that makes you feel like you are crying alone in the darkness. And we work really hard at hiding that from ourselves and other people. But it, would you let it come into your heart and your mind for a moment? Whatever you believe about the resurrection, imagine if it's true that, that Jesus has come back. Imagine that. And imagine that you were going to sit beside him this morning here. And, and, and there he was 
beside you with that memory of your failure there in your minds, whoever you are, whatever you think. All of us, isn't it true that we all have something? Is it or not? There's one person who's like, not, not really, not me. Now that person's thinking, wait a minute. In college, I did buy a bobblehead Jesus at Urban Outfitters. And it's been on my dashboard with a thumbs up, and I am not nice when I drive the car. And so Jesus has seen it all. Jesus will meet you. Why did you spend $12.99 on that thing? That was a waste of money. It doesn't even look like me. Right? That, maybe that's your worst. Or maybe not. Maybe you lose your temper with people that you love. Everybody else thinks you're really nice, but the people who are the most vulnerable with you get the worst of you. Maybe that's you. And you're thinking of it. It feels awful. Maybe you've been a brother who's abused his power. You're older than your little brother and, and you've used that in a way that's not right. You think if Jesus saw that, he would... Maybe at work, greed got the best of you and you went down a path that you know is unethical, but you did it so that the bottom line would be... Right? Maybe you betrayed someone who gave you their heart and you just... You did it anyway. It's like you're watching a bad movie and the main character keeps going from bad to worse and it's you. So maybe you bring that into this room this morning. If that's you, please listen now. You are exactly where Peter is in this fishing trip. At the same place where it all began. In, in John 21, this is what we read there. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. In John's gospel, that's the same as the Sea of Galilee where it started. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples. Now that's seven followers of Jesus who are all together. Seven in the Bible is a perfect number. It means there's a perfect collection of followers of Jesus. But instead of going out into the countryside to proclaim the resurrection of their Lord, they are back on the sea where it all started. But now they're back to their old work. Look at what verse three says. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. It was at Peter's prompting that they decided to leave behind the dream of what Jesus could have been and go on to a new path, what it was like before they met Jesus. By the way, if you are a follower of Jesus, isn't it true that there will become for you a time in life where it feels like he's so far away that maybe you'll want to go back to life before him? Has anyone else experienced that? I see some folks nodding. By the way, that's all of us. I hope this expectation is clear to anyone who says, I believe in Jesus and I'm going to follow him. There will come a day where you want to go back to fishing. And by the way, isn't fishing great? Anybody? Yes or no? Who's the fisherman? Let me see. Good. A fisherwoman. I like that. When you go out fishing all night, you don't catch anything. It's still a good night, right? It is. A bad day of fishing is better than a good day at work. That's what I've heard. These guys fish all night and they catch nothing. And the reason they're fishing is... Having seen Jesus die, they've begun to believe that maybe it was a dream. But then on the shore, there's a man standing and he calls out as the sun's beginning to come up, have you caught anything? And when you've been fishing all night, you haven't caught anything. You love when someone asks you that. <laughs> he tells them, you should throw the net out the other side of the boat. And also, 
professional fishermen love that when you give them fishing advice after they haven't done anything. The guys do it, and then they catch so many fish they can't even bring in the nets, and that's the moment that they realize that guy on the beach, there is Jesus. And so they go to shore, and there's the fire, and everybody comes up, and there's a breakfast, but now Peter is standing there with Jesus, and just like you would be, he's wondering how is it gonna go when he brings up what's behind us. And again, if this isn't you, I want you to see what happens here because this is what Christians believe is the main thing. This is verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? There's no way that Peter could have been prepared for that kind of question surely in his mind would have been his own failure and he must have anticipated there's going to be some kind of question from Jesus that I'll have to answer to explain why I did what I did like some of you would feel if maybe he was sitting beside you. But instead of bringing up the past, Jesus begins with this very direct question, do you love me? And it seems quite odd because why would he want to know about that in this moment? Do you love me more than these? In Greek, the referent of these is a little bit ambiguous. Some scholars say Jesus is asking Peter if he thinks he loves Jesus more than the other guys love Jesus. Kind of like a comparison thing. Do you think that's Jesus' style? I don't. I think Jesus wants to know from Peter if Jesus has the first place in his heart still or not. He wants to know, do you love me more than all of these friends of yours? Do you love me more than work, which is good? It's going really good for you. See, you caught more than you'd ever caught. Do you love me more than an economic windfall like this right now? Do you love me more than anything else? That's what Jesus asks. That is the first question which Jesus asks after seeing Peter deny him by the fire just a few days earlier. That's what he wants to know about. Now, if you're Peter, are you waiting for the other shoe to drop? Peter's response. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I read between the lines there, and what I hear Peter saying is, you know the answer. You're only asking me so that I have to say it again so that you can tell me. I sure haven't showed you that I love you. Like, like Peter would say, yes. I have to say yes. I can't say no. Yes. And then Jesus would say, well, then why did you pretend you didn't know me? How come you lied? You just told me you'd die for me and it was, it was the hardest moment of my life and you didn't do anything. If you love me, why were you so afraid? Why'd you put yourself first? I'm sure that's what Peter was thinking. You might think, if Jesus were here, the first thing out of his mouth would be, how come you've been such a weak disciple? You're so self-centered. You lose your temper with your kids all the time. You say you're my follower. You don't look like it. Jesus' response after Peter says, you know, is, look at this. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. So Jesus asks, do you love me? And then when Peter says yes, he says, okay, this is all I care about. Take care of other people in the world who need help. That's the only thing that Jesus cares about in this moment. 
He's thinking in his mind, there's lots of people all around who need help. And if this guy's ready to love me, then I want him to know the most important thing for me is that he helps others. Feed my lambs may seem strange. In the Old Testament, the shepherd is an image for God and all of us are considered sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you know this? That's a poem that's meant to say, thank God I have a divine being who looks after me like a shepherd cares for his sheep. All over the the Old Testament. The images of promise to the people who are lost and need help is that one day God will become a shepherd for you. Now, Peter is telling, excuse me, Jesus is telling Peter in this moment, I want you, if you love me, to do good to other people in the world. Do you, need, do you know anybody in the world who needs help? Do you? Do you know anybody who doesn't need help? If you know them, can you steer them my way? I need their help. This conversation that I'm talking about is not just an old conversation to look at it. I I think Jesus wants to speak to people who gather even on Sunday morning on Easter so that he can say something to them. But now back to it. Peter has just said, yes, you know that I do. Jesus says, feed my sheep. I'm sure if I were Peter, I'd still be wondering, when is he gonna bring up what I did? Verse 16, a second time. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's, he's, he's really pushing it to me. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It just feels like torture at this moment to Peter that he should have to answer the question a second time. And by the way, Jesus is doing something on purpose now. He's not just trying to bother him with repetition. He's trying to teach him something indirectly. Because look at what happens next. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he asked him a third time, do you love me? You know, there's a reason why John tells us twice in this verse that it's the third time the question is asked. Because in this moment, Peter is not just physically by a fire again. He is emotionally and mentally back where he was the last time he stood beside a fire when he was being asked questions, the same one three times. In fact, the word charcoal only appears twice in the entire New Testament, and both times are to describe the fire that Peter stands beside, the one in the courtyard and now the one on the beach. And what's happening in this moment is Jesus is saying to Peter, I know absolutely everything that is behind us. I know it. I know how you answered all three times the last time you had an opportunity to answer honestly. And now what I am giving you is an opportunity to start all over again, brand new. And I don't need to say anything directly about what you did before because the truth about me is I don't care at all about what's behind us. What I care about more than anything else is that you love me and that you do good things to other people. And so he doesn't say a word about what happened the last time he was there at the fire, but he says again to him the most important thing, which is, do you love me? And when Peter is hurt, but then responds by saying, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. A third time, Jesus says to him the most important thing that he needs to hear as he is faced with the living Lord Jesus who has come back from the dead to stand before him and tell him what he needs to hear. I want you to consider this. 
Christians believe that Jesus was God with us. Not everybody thinks this is, is how it is, but you have to understand if you want to know what Christians believe. We believe that God decided not to stay away from the world, which was such a wreck, but instead to come down into the world as a real human being, and Jesus was God with us. He was the one in whom the fullness of the deity was pleased to dwell. Every step of his life, he was kind and loving. Every step. He taught, he healed, he helped, he brought love to people who were far away, and what he got in return was that his own people turned against him. They, they were thirsty for his blood during the Passover. The religious community made fake charges up against him, and his own followers failed to stand up for him, and Peter being one of them. And then he died and went into the grave. The cross was the throne on which the king of the universe sat to be the king he was. He didn't have a, a crown of gold. He had a crown of thorns. He was humble, meek, gracious at every step of the life. And, and, and humanity gave him sour wine to drink to say thank you. And now when he comes back from the grave, he's standing with one of the guys who's responsible and he only cares about two things. Would you please love me? And would you please do good for other people in the world? How beautiful is that? Right, you may not think it's all true, but how beautiful is that? that a religious movement should gather around a king who became that humble and who wants two things, even from people who are shameful betrayers of his. He wants their love and he wants them to do good in the world. What if that's what every person who called themselves a Christian cared most about? Can you imagine how different the world would be? Let yourself imagine that for a minute that the things we cared most about were trying to figure out how to love this winsome, beautiful teacher Jesus God with us, this humble, benevolent man through and through. And if we, all we thought about was how can we do good for others in the world? Can you imagine how different the world would be? There'd be more joy at family reunions. There'd be more forgiveness than resentment. It would be easier for you this afternoon when you go to gather with the family members that you wish weren't in your family for Easter. Brothers and sisters would be allies rather than enemies. Husbands would be attentive and kind. Wives would be forgiving and loving. Families would be strengthened instead of splintered. People who were hurting and harmed would have strangers reaching out to them to care for them without even being invited. People who had more than they need would give it away to people who had less than they require and there'd be much more balance and joy. People would use their gifts to create art that was inspiring instead of degrading. I bet food would taste better. <laughs> food tastes good sometimes, doesn't it? Is anybody having ham this afternoon at Easter? Is anybody having lamb? Is anybody having both? My mom texted me last night, ham and lamb. This conversation is meant to speak to all of us who are gathered here. These are the three things that I hear Jesus saying to us from this story, okay? If you're a follower of his, it's time for you to listen up. The way that you grow as his follower is to listen to what he says. If you're not a follower, it's time for you to look and see what do Christians, what are they supposed to be in terms of people who believe things? This is it, okay? 
right here in the, on this conversation by this second fire. The first thing that I think Jesus says, if we listen, Jesus' word to you, to us, is leave the past behind. Now go ahead and let that past come into your mind again and listen to Jesus' word. Leave that past behind. If you've hurt someone and you regret it, you are free. Jesus says you can leave it behind. If someone's hurt you badly and you've been ruminating on it, Jesus says you can leave that behind. If you're disappointed in all the ways you've not been the idealized you that you wish you were, Jesus comes now and says, I understand that. I see it better than you see it yourself. It's okay, let that go behind. Do you know there's lots of people who don't like who they are? Sometimes even little children, they already are growing up to not like themselves. I've seen this in many young people. Jesus comes to them and says, you can leave all of that behind. Why? Not because it doesn't matter. The things that we've done wrong are wrong and they matter. It's not because Jesus says, pretend you didn't do anything. The reason he says, leave it behind is because when he died on the cross, he took all of the sin, all of the ugliness, all of the selfishness and arrogance and violence of the whole world upon himself. That's what the Bible says. When Jesus died, he died for the sins of the whole world. We are convinced that when one died, all have died. This is what Paul wrote about Jesus' death. The Bible teaches this with very, very brilliant metaphors. Think of this. The legal record with its demands against you, God took this away and he nailed it to the cross when Jesus died. That's from Colossians 2.14. That's a good metaphor, isn't it? If you've got that legal record against yourself, let it go. Jesus says, leave that. I'll take it and I'll put it on the cross. Here's another one. Though your sins are like scarlet they shall be made white as snow. Now that's another good metaphor. Uh, the stain of a guilty conscience that's like this crimson stain. It was picked up by a literary expert for a reason, right? But it comes all the way back from Isaiah 1.8. God says, let's, let's have an argument if you want, God says. Even though you're stained like scarlet, I'll make you white as snow. Uh, here, here's another. Uh, if you have a past, which means your future is ugly and bad, when God came in Christ and died on the cross, it was this one who knew no sin who became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's the transposition of identities. That is God saying to you, you, I understand your past. Give it to me. I'll take it as if it was mine. You have a brand new future ahead of you. Jesus says, leave the past behind because that's the first thing that this conversation teaches us. Would you like to do that? I heard one person whisper, yes, Jesus. The rest of you are screaming on the inside, yes, I want to do it. So here, I'm going to, ready? I'm going to, I just screamed, you can do it. <laughs> the second thing, the reason that Jesus wants you to leave your past behind is because this is the second thing he says to you, love me now. And as long as you're wallowing in the guilt and grief over who you've been, part of your heart is being wasted on regret. And what Jesus wants is all of your heart. Again, this is so amazing that, that the Christian religion is about love. It's about a God who comes and says, the thing that I care about most is lo your love to me. And if your heart is, is tangled up in shame for what's happened in the past, a part of your heart doesn't get to be given to me. So please, let me forgive you so I can have all of your heart. That's what Jesus wants. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he gave himself for us. 
so that we could be people who every day, the most important thing about us is that we love Jesus and that he loves us and we know it. You would be so free if that was you. And here's the third thing that Jesus says. This is why he wants you to be free. Some people think, oh, well, Christianity is about that religion where you say you believe some things and that way when you die, you get to go to heaven instead of all the other bad people. Have you ever heard that version of Christian faith? Yes? It's nonsense. Jesus doesn't say, believe in me so that you get a free ticket to heaven and, well, to that place with everybody else. He says, love me now for this third thing, which is take care of others. That's the third thing that this conversation tells us about Jesus. He cares most about you letting go of the past, accepting his forgiveness, so that you'll love him now, so that you will actually have a life that is centered around taking care of others. And I'm telling you, this is something that every one of you can do today. And you should do it every single day, but even today. As you go away from this place and you're at that meal where there are old family tensions, what if you did this? What if you decided, because your sibling is just so stubborn, he's never gonna do it, to go up to him and say, you know what? I just wanna let you know I'm ready to bury the hatchet. Let's forget it all. What if you did that? It would cost you something, but that would be a way to love Jesus by taking care of that old wound. Uh, maybe you go and, and you know that your younger brother always has wanted to know that you approve of him. And so instead of just assuming that he knows it, you go up to him and say, hey, I've always thought you're a really great guy. Uh, how about this? If you're a dad, put your, your hand on your son's shoulder today and say, I am really proud of who you are. How about that? Or if you're a dad and you have a daughter, you look at her right in the eyes and say, you are the smartest, most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And make sure your wife's not nearby while you say that. <laughs> How about you just say, I'm sorry. How about this? You care for others by making that ham and that lamb even more delicious than they had hoped for. I'm serious. Caring for people by giving them food, that's something every single one of you can do. You can get on an airplane Tomorrow at 3.40 in the morning, what are you doing? You're going to Guatemala to help build a school building. You can do that. Not this year, probably, unless you signed up already. But next year, you can. You can come to the person who's in charge of Ren Cares here, Jim, and you can say, I want to do something that cares for other people. Will you help me do it? A part of our church is to do that. You can, every step of the way, keep your eyes open to how God would use you to do good for others. If you would do that, you would be a person who responds to the risen Jesus in exactly the way that you were meant to. It's why Jesus said what he did to Peter, and it's what he says to us now here this morning. And so this is the last question. What will you do with what Jesus says to you? Now, those of us who are a part of Renaissance Church, this is the end of our consideration for this time of how Jesus gathers and how he helps followers grow and how he sends them to go. But what I'm asking you to do with me in this year ahead, those of you who are here with me, is to commit together to do these three things, to choose to accept God's forgiveness for us, not because we, we sort of claim it, but because he's that gracious, and to choose to do that, to let go of the past each day even, tomorrow morning, when you regret what you did tonight, you're going to do it again. You're going to let go of the past. And then you are going to decide with me to be a church that sees that what Jesus wants most is, his, is love from us for him. 
and then ask again and again, how can we do good for others? Would you do that with me? Yes. That's what Renaissance Church is for, to be a community that's gathered by Jesus so that we grow to follow him and then go out into the world and show him to others. And that's what this year ahead is for, for us. If you're not a follower, if you're not a person who's regularly a part of this place, here's my specific challenge to you. It is to take time to consider what if it is so that the God who made me and this world around me, which is so maddening to me, actually showed his love by becoming vulnerable for me and the world. And now he comes to me and asks if I will accept his grace and forgiveness so that I have a new beginning, which will be about loving him and doing good for others. I hope that if that's not you, if you're not there, I hope you know that God's disposition toward you is love, that he's waiting for you to come. And then I hope that life gets under your skin enough that you remember this conversation by the fire on the beach. And then in that memory, you would hear Jesus saying this to you. I've been waiting each day for you to come. I love you. I want you to know that I give you permission to, to let everything go and start on this journey with me. And that's a journey where I love you and you know it. And then in the world, we do good things. My challenge to you is, is that you would take that into your heart and see if that memory might come. Let's pray together. God, for this time together with these people, I give you great thanks. For those who are my friends who I've spent life with, for those I've listened to, for those I've prayed for and cried with, I thank you, as well as for those I've never met, those who've come here this morning and have been together with us during this time. I thank you for the chance to be with each other. I pray that having spent time with this conversation would have opened up something in every one of our hearts here this morning so that we would know the truth about who you are better and we would become people who come after you and follow you and that we would love you and because of that, we would become people who do good in this world. I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.